Well, we come to the end of our uh, our church series, and Osvaldo, why don't you introduce your topic today? I think it's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, we're going to skip from Middle Ages all the way to <laughs> today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the church in the Hispanic community. It's going to be fun because I what I hope that you, that you'll be able to see today is how the gospel impacts different communities. But also, what I would like you to see is how how we share a lot of the same issues. Man, Pastor, it's funny. Like throughout this podcast, I, like I keep a lot of stuff to myself, but I'm like, dang, that's exactly what what happened at this church, or this is exactly what this pastor was teaching. We have a lot of overlap, actually, when it comes to the issues. But all this to say that what 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 we're going to talk about today. This is my experience. These are the stories that I heard growing up. So it's going to be a lot of generalizing. It's not true about every single Hispanic community, but I just hope it'll give you some some insight of how church looks like and in our community. So Pastor, any any initial thoughts before we, we get right into it? Well, one of the things I remind my students is that whatever brand of Protestantism they're a part of, and it's obviously a Protestant school, um, it, it's just a sliver in the greater church of 2,000 years. Yeah. And so to stay humble, and so it helps, it helps to travel. It helps to see how Christians around the world worship and, and live the way they view the Christian life. Even the class I teach in to Malaysian students, just to listen to life in the Malaysian churches is so fascinating. Yeah. And so it helps us not be so confident that our particular way is exactly right. Because there, as you said, there's just so many different experiences. It's when you go culture to culture. Yeah, exactly. Now, the first thing I want to do is address the term Hispanic or Latino, because I feel that, that is such an incredibly broad term. And for those of you who may not know, generally speaking, Hispanic or Latinos don't get along with each other. All right. That's just that's just a fact. Latin America is extremely diverse. It's huge. And they don't get along with each other at all. And <laughs> at the risk of insulting people, this is especially true of Mexicans and everyone else. Let me give you an example. Uh, my, my parents, for those of you who don't who don't know, my dad is from Mexico and my mom is from El Salvador. And man, do these two groups hate each other. It, it is a genuine hate. It is a genuine racism. But my parents met here in Houston and they were both Christian. So that wasn't an issue. But my mom's family, most of them were not Christian. So when my dad asked, you know, very traditionally to, you know, ask her hand in marriage, my, my grandparents uh, said no initially. Because my dad was Mexican. And the only reason they were able to marry is because my, my mom's older brothers happened to go to the same church as my, my dad. So they knew he was a good Christian. They were able to vouch for him. And at the end, they just kind of let it slide. But it was a, it was a serious racial tension. So, so having that in mind, 
when it comes to here in the United States, where a lot of you know Hispanic churches are generally mixed, there's a tendency to be very tribalistic. Very, it, it tends to be a very clicky community. You know, Argentinians hang out with each other, the Mexicans hang out with each other, Salvadorans hang out with each other. Very tribalistic, and you can imagine that the pastor of these of these mixed Hispanic communities, more often than not, not always, he tends to favor his own people group. You know, when it comes to issues like I don't know, whose whose Independence Day should we celebrate during the fellowship next month or whatever? The Cubans, the, the you know, like you know, like these little questions that don't sound like a big deal are super big deal in these mixed communities. So all this to say that the challenge for the Hispanic community when they start interacting with these different people groups is to realize that their identity is now in Christ, and that sounds a lot easier. That's that's easier said than than done. So, Pastor, you have any comments on how this problem is not a new problem, nor is it only an American problem. This is an everyone problem. Osvaldo, I think your point is good that racism and looking down on other groups and uh, discrimination, hatred, it's found everywhere. Every race, every country, it is part of fallen human nature. Well, I know that when I lived in Albuquerque and we lived there eight years in that area, it was about probably more Hispanics than whites, but it was pretty close. Yeah. And they, they got along fairly well. But the discrimination you heard about, as you said, was between the mm. Hispanics. Yeah. And especially you had those of Spanish descent looking down on Mexicans. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you're familiar with that. Oh, yeah. And then you had those who had been assimilated versus immigrants coming in. Mm-hmm. And then you had, if there were Cubans, you know, oh, the joke the, the joke was Cubans hate everybody. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep. No, yeah, you're right. And so, and and this is what the Hispanics told me who grew up there. Yeah. They said, there's not a lot of problems between Hispanics and whites, but between the different groups, there's a lot of discrimination. So it just kind of matched there what you're saying in Houston. It's so funny. Uh, I always joke around with my American friends that whenever, you know, the racial stuff and the racist stuff is going on on the news, you'll see the Hispanics are awfully quiet. <laughs> You know, because like it's it's them, it's them too. It's not just Americans. Anyways, but an, another another important thing also to have in mind when it comes to the church and the Hispanic community is the Protestant and Catholic tension that's 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 always in the background. You see, in Hispanic, generally in Hispanic Latino culture, life revolves around the community. It's a very community oriented uh, people, and in Roman Catholicism, religion is seen as the social glue, um, especially where my parents are from the life of the community revolved around the church. I mean, the festivals, your town usually had a saint, you know, a patron saint, and you celebrate his feast day. Life checkpoints revolved around the church, baptism at infancy, your first communion, your marriage, things that are religious. So so faith or Roman Catholicism is seen as the faith of the community, the faith of our forefathers, the faith of the family. But then you have the evangelical faith or the Protestant faith, and they see it as, they see that as interrupting the community. Why? Because Protestants don't do mass. They do. They don't do prayer to the saints. They don't do all these extra superstitious practices that are common throughout Catholic Latin America. So, from a Catholic perspective, the Protestant faith um, is seen as a betrayal to the community and to the family, and consequently, there's actually severe persecution, and that's something that you don't hear very often. Uh, 
speaking uh, of my parents, when my mom became, um, in her words, when she became a true Christian, started attending a Pentecostal church, she was actually kicked out of her own home here in Houston. She she lived with her brother, and and when they found out that she had abandoned the Catholic faith, they told her, "You can no longer live in this home. You have betrayed our family. You have betrayed the community." My dad's experience was a little bit less severe because his most of his family was already it was in Mexico while he was in the United States. But whenever he would visit, he got cut off from the family. They they they, they wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't uh, hang out with him. He was cut off because he has betrayed them. And I think this is made most evident actually in Mexico. There's a place called Chamula. It's known as the, the land of blood. And this, this was in the 80s when um, Roman Catholic authorities were actually killing evangelical Christians, seizing land and actually um, um, exiling them from, from Chamula, from the town, for embracing the evangelical faith. So that, that's what's happening in the background. So it's actually common whenever you go to Pentecostal or evangelical or Spanish Protestant um, churches, there's a big emphasis on going back to the Bible, one, because they feel like they've missed out most of their life from the scriptures. But two, you would, you were, you, you would hear that the sermons and a lot of the Bible studies have a, have a huge anti-Catholic flavor to them. A lot of it is emphasis on, you know, anti-Marian dogma or anti-mass, anti-this, this or that, very anti-Catholic. So that's, I think that's important to understanding, I think, this community. The Protestant Catholic tension is very much real and the persecution real as well. And, and any comments, Pastor, on this? Yeah, you know, Cheryl, uh, my wife is from Mexico. She grew up there and, and in northern Mexico where she grew up. The persecution wasn't that bad. It was more competition. Mm. So you would have things like if a Protestant church had a VBS, the Catholic, yeah. the Catholic church may... Um, have their VBS the same week once they found out when the Protestant and just offer more, no, because they just had more money, hmm. uh, things like that. It was, but in southern Mexico, you heard stories of murders, wow, and the taking of land, and so it really depended back then when. But I also remember that, you know, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church when I first started, there were I think four. Hispanic mission works with a Spanish speaking pastor mm. and all of them ended up closing down. Oh, wow. And one of the reasons is that, you know, in their background, Sunday was family day. Mm. So it was hard to find consistency in coming to church when yeah. they grew up. Sunday was the day family got together. Yeah. And also you have the problem and you may get to this is even though they've left the Catholic faith, they still looked upon pastors the way they looked upon priests. Hmm. And yeah. you really see that this in, in the Pentecostal movement. Oh, yes. They sort of transfer this respect they had for the priest now onto the charismatic pastor. Yeah. But I'll let you talk about that a little more. Oh, yeah. We're gonna, definitely going to talk about that in a minute. But um, in the His Protestant Hispanic church, the groups that mostly consist are charismatic groups, Baptists, and general evangelical churches. And, and all these three have, are actually known for change. There's a huge emphasis on Christian life. Not that American churches don't emphasize on Christian life, but I don't know. There's something about Hispanics. It's just an, an extra flavor of, of, of legalism there. But um, it, even, even among the Roman Catholic community, they know that evangelical churches demand change. 
huge emphasis on Christian life. It's interesting. One of my dad's friends, after years of conversation, he told my dad, I don't want to be a Christian. That's how they call the Protestant or evangelical people. I don't want to be a Christian because that means I have to change. Because they knew uh, the evangelical church was very explicit on, you know, don't drink, right? And by the way, uh, I don't know, for a lot of Presbyterians, it's like, what? It's a shock. But it, it, unfortunately, a lot of Hispanic Latino communities suffer from alcoholism. So if you embrace Christ, it means you have to abandon that lifestyle and usually translate it to not drinking at all. Very huge emphasis on the way you dress, very conservative, um, abandoning secular music and et cetera. So on, on a positive way, you know, the Hispanic community generally takes Jesus's teachings super seriously. To embrace Jesus means to embrace a completely new life. And you have to demonstrate it with your family. You have to demonstrate it in, um, in everything. As a, as a fun fact, uh, a few years ago, El Salvador actually had a huge gang problem with the MS-13. And once you once you declare your allegiance to this gang, you had it was for life unless you became evangelical. And you had to show, right, that not only were you going to church, but your life had to be different and changed. That was the, 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 the it, either you died and that's how you left the, the gangs or you became evangelical and you showed them that you truly changed. So all this to say the evangelical church really has that reputation of being of emphasizing the Christian life. But on a negative sense, like I said before, it does create a very legalistic culture, extremely legalistic, because they start going to specifics. What can you wear? What type of music can you can you uh, can you listen to? And there is a little bit of a tendency to of, of to have that mindset of conquering the culture, you know. Um, and this is more common um, in, in Latin America more than the United States. But yeah, conquer culture, legalism, and unfortunately. A lot of these churches have do have some sort of a works based gospel. You can only be you could only be a serious and true Christian if you have a new life as 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 it's shown in our teachings. You know, you have to dress this way, say, talk this way. Anyways, and there's also a tendency to believe that you could lose your salvation. So very threatening, very legalistic. So those are the negatives. And, and, and any thoughts, Pastor, on this kind of the holiness movement in, in the evangelical Hispanic church? Yeah, when I first met Cheryl, um, she had only been in the States for about a year. So she grew up, and her father was a pastor in Mexico, and uh, it, she didn't know any of the cultural references hardly that I mentioned, even the what we would consider the, uh -huh. you know, the clean ones like Star Wars or things like that. And wow. so there were hardly any movies, and it wasn't necessarily because her parents were so strict. But it was also you had to be careful because of not to offend the people, hmm. um, what their expectations were. Yeah. And, and so, you know, me coming from a non-Christian background, having seen a lot, you know, and Cheryl had just so innocent. There's that Bob Jones influence that was it's pretty mm -hmm. common in the Baptist world in Mexico. Yeah. And so I started her off easy with things like Star Wars. Uh huh. Then I slowly worked my way to Dirty Harry. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is. Okay. Uh, all the older people listening, anyone older than 40 probably knows what I'm talking about. That's funny. So, yeah, it's very, very legalistic. And like, like I said, a lot of overlap. It's, it's so funny kind of joining Cornerstone and kind of knowing you, Pastor, and hearing the stories of of kind of like IFB independent fundamentalist Baptists, almost very similar cultures. 
uh, church cultures and expectations. So that was super interesting. But uh, another thing about the the Hispanic church is that it's uh, there's a big emphasis on fellowship and evangelism. Why? It's a communal culture. So in many ways, fellowship it's a, it's very easy because it's it's already a cultural thing. You you you, you almost. Every Sunday or some day in the week, you're, you're, you're at someone else's house. It's, it's generally common to be at other people's homes during the week and during Sundays. And, and evangelism fits relatively com- comfortably for many Hispanic Christians. Because unlike American culture, religion is always a topic of conversation. It, it's not taboo to talk about uh, the denomination or doctrinal stuff. That's not, it's not taboo. Um, so... The only uncomfortable part is when you you know start throwing an imperative there. You should do this. You should change. That, that's when it gets ugly. But on a positive in a positive way, um, it's easy to engage in gospel conversations in the Hispanic community because they're really open about that those type of conversations. At the same time, on another positive sense, because it's a communal culture, it's it's really nice because you you're intimately connected to the church uh, to the church life very literally. You're always at people's homes. Someone so growing up, we were always in someone else's house every every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday. We were we were barely at home because that, that that's simply how the culture works. On a, on a negative side, because of the emphasis on the Christian life is is on the Christian life, evangelism can be very legalistic, can be pushy, extremely obnoxious, uh, <laughs> extremely actually to the point where you you cut ties, your family cuts ties with you not because of the gospel but because of how honestly how rude and disrespectful people can be. Um, also on the negative side, fellowship can lead to a lot of gossip because you're intimately involved in people's private lives. You're always in their homes. You see kind of the 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 stuff that goes on. And so that gossip, you know, is a huge thing. I know that's a huge thing in, in, in every church or in every community, but I don't know. The fact that you're always at someone's house and you see their their problems and their fights, the gossip just... I don't know. There's an extra level of there that just makes makes it uglier, at least in my in my experience. But Pastor, any any any, any comment on on this? Yeah, I think you've nailed one of the biggest weaknesses in the Anglo churches is we've really lost that idea of hospitality and um, being around people during the week. Hmm. And and obviously, distance has a, is a part of it, but it's just not our culture. And so, people that Christians that come out of the Latin community, and this was including Cheryl. Mm. She said, growing up in the church, everyone was family. They treated you like family. And then you come to the churches here, mostly white churches, and it's very formal. You may know a couple people. Mm. And so for her, it was culture shock. And I've heard that from a number of um, Hispanics, Christians, who even that came to our church that noticed the difference. And when I... I've spent a lot of time in Guadalajara, Mexico. I, I went to school there for a month. But one time I stayed with my missionary friend there. And it was very common, 10, 10.30 at night, the doorbell would ring. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and this is not planned. People just coming over to hang out and say hi. Yep. And so I was always shocked. I was like, did you know that? Oh, no. But everybody was all excited they were there and. They stayed up till midnight, and yeah, um, you've seen that in your community, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 a matter of like transparency, right? It's like if and by the way, pastor, this is especially true for ministers or for pastors. A pastor must always have his door open, and, and Hispanics take that a hundred percent, literally. 
and, and it's a matter of trust. If they trust you and, and, and they think you're, you're a good person, then they're going to try to be in your presence as much as they can. So, yeah, so it, it, it is a very communal thing, but like, like, like everything else, there's, there's positive and negative elements to that. Yeah. But the, the last thing I want to talk about, it's leadership. And in, in modern American churches, pastors are seen more like a buddy, right? Or a friend. I, I know, I know, I know, I know friends who go to churches where the pastor isn't even pastor, right? You call me, call him by his first name, Brian or whatever. That's not a bad thing. I'm just like, this is something that uh, a trend that I see, right? Pastors seem more like a buddy or a friend, but in, in Hispanic churches, it's it's the opposite. Pastors are are the spiritual patriarch of the community, and like you said, pastor, they're they're treated. This is where like uh, the the Roman Catholic background really comes in. They treat the Hispanic pastor like they would their Roman Catholic priest, with that same honor, with that same prestige, with that same respect. The pastor. Uh, is seen on a like, completely different spiritual level, direct pipeline to God type deal. And this pastor has a lot, they give the pastor a lot of authority and a lot of say about their own personal lives. I've, I've seen and heard of situations of pastors, Hispanic pastors telling people who to date, who to marry, what to wear, and even who to vote for. And that's not a seen as taboo. This, these, these are the expectations of the pastor. And and I think there's also like a sociological element to it. Oftentimes, pastors are seen as the most educated, um, at, at least from my parents' background. A lot of them didn't finish. The congregants didn't finish school, but the pastor had some college education. So they see the pastor as this kind of like this guy who's top notch, educated, um, spiritually mature, so on, so on. So they, they really give the pastor a lot of authority and a lot of honor. So on a positive way, pastors are well respected. They're honored. And, and, and something that I find really, really admirable is that they're, they're protected by the community. Um, and they take passages seriously when it says, when Paul says, let the elders, you know, deserve or be given double honor. They really, they really take that seriously. And in a context where a lot of pastors are persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church or stuff like that, um, pastors are protected by the community. So that's kind of, it's really beautiful to see. On the negative side of this, pastors often abuse this. Oh my goodness! They, they abuse it. It gets to their heads. Don't touch the Lord's anointed. They could be wrong. They could be. They could be in affairs. They could do this or whatever. But pastors can't be touched because you know how people perceive them to be these these spiritual untouchable patriarchs. So that's that's something that was a huge difference. At least um, I remember. I, for, I I don't know pastor. I think someone. I once someone called you Todd. Oh, I still remember who. I'm not going to say their name. They, they, they love you very much. But I heard them say Todd. And that made me so uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable. I was like, how <laughs> dare you? <laughs> it's Pastor Todd. <laughs> but yeah, that's a little bit of my own culture kind of like coming in. Uh, any thought? So, Pastor, I think you do well in the Hispanic church, Pastor. I think, I think you do well. Ah, you're, 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 you're a good guy. And I feel like you wouldn't abuse that. But any, any, any thoughts, Pastor, on, on kind of how, how leadership is seen in the Hispanic community? I've mentioned this before, but in 2015, I was in uh, Lima, Peru, and I was teaching a class at a seminary there, and it was from church leaders all over Lima and and then beyond. And I asked them, "What is what is the number one problem you're dealing with in your churches?" And almost everyone in the class said what you just said. They said, "Pastors who abuse their position." Wow, that's the number one, and they would give examples of pastor would come to a church and come up to a couple and say, 
you need to get married in the next two weeks. Wow. Because the, the Holy Spirit told him or whatever. Yeah. And so pastors have this authority to be able to not just speak of scripture, but as you said, to t- tell you what to do. Yeah, dictate people's whole lives. Yeah. And and even the pastors had very little um, education, and so they were getting a lot of their things online. Now now that you know we we have the internet, and and that's just as dangerous, you know. Yeah. But that was the number one problem they says of the authority and the manipulation of ministers here. Wow. Wow. So, I guess to to in conclusion. Just like American churches, God still works amid the faults and, and challenges that, that that each community has, and and I think there's something really hopeful because first generation children like like me um, who want to go into ministry and want to you know better impact our own communities, the positive part is that we we better ha- we better have we have better access to education and and seminary. Um, oftentimes, a lot of pastors don't have any seminary, but now we do in this country, so it's it's a good thing. Um, good theology is now in Spanish and accessible because of social media. Some pastors in in the in the Dominican Republic, they're Reformed Baptist. Um, they're not the extreme ones; they're like the toxic extreme ones. They're actually really good and genuine people that are have a huge social media presence and have been impacting a lot of Latin America. And they're on YouTube, easy accessible for pastors. So I think there's there's a lot of hope for healthier and for healthier communities, for healthier um, for educated leaders healthier congregants in this community. But like at the end of the day, right, the Lord preserves, preserves his church. And I hope, I hope this was helpful in kind of giving just a general overview of kind of what does a Hispanic church looks like and what challenges we undergo and any final thoughts, pastor? No, I think it's fascinating. It's so helpful to see the strengths and weaknesses and to realize we have them in our churches too. Yeah. Sometimes we have to take a step back and look at others. Um, but let me just uh, sort of look ahead. After we're going to take a break, we don't know exactly how long, but it's going to be a special time. We come back because we're going to be very honest with our crisis family, mm. and we're going to talk about our journey, the changes over the last few years and beyond of of our thinking theologically. We'll take one topic at a time, yeah. and hope you will join us and not stone us. <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't think it'd be too shocking. No, I hope not. All right. Well, um, thanks, Osvaldo, for your work, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back. Picking up a paper till the wild wind blows. Say what we should say until we know we should know. I ain't picking up a paper, picking till the wild wind blows.